This is Westside Barbell with strength and conditioning legend, Louis Simmons. Westsidebarbell.com, the strongest website in the world. Welcome to the Westside Barbell Podcast. Today's podcast topic is on the static dynamic methods. We're here today with uh, Daniel DePasqua, the head strength coach of the Melbourne Storm rugby team in uh, Australia. Uh, to begin this podcast, Louis, I'd like to ask you, where did the concept of the static dynamic methods and the ideas for your new machines come from? That's a good idea. You know, I'm a student of my own game, weightlifting and powerlifting. My background, um, you know, in, in training actually comes from the Soviet Union and Bulgarian weightlifting. Of course, the Bulgarian system came from the Soviets as well. But I was fascinated by two coaches, many coaches, uh, Medvedev, Roman, it goes on, on, on. But for Fushansky, for one, and also uh, for track and field, you're basically a lot of sprinting. You know, he's famous for the depth jumps and so forth, uh, plyometric shock training. And also, uh, uh, Dr. Bontichok, he also did this system. It was called a static overcome by dynamic. And there's two methods to do. One was called heavy and light, where they would load a barbell up to around 90%, and they'd do a rep or two for a couple sets. And then they'd run over, and they'd lift 30%. So it was a contrast. They'd go for 90%, something moving very slow, developing massive force, to a very lightweight where they develop maximal uh, fast rate of force development, uh, developing power. And uh, both men were very successful at this, so I thought to myself, well, why not? I talked to a track coach at least 20 years ago, and he told me if I, if I built the machine, it would revolutionize strength training. And But I got caught up, as you well know, Tom, uh, with a lot of other um, you know ideas along the way and getting patents and so forth. Uh, but finally, I developed a static dynamic developer, and we have it now, and it's, um, we're ready to show it here in October, and we'll get into those places and dates later. When, um, <clears throat> when you first came up with the concept, like, how did you experiment with it? Did you, do, did you go from isometrics to movements, or how, how, does, how did you like, program into the gym? Well, if, uh, first of all, we did what they did. We did heavy weights and, and then would jump, mm -hmm. because a lot of times they would jump as well. And then, uh, so we did that, but you know, the problem is, you know, if you lift a heavy weight and run over to another barbell, you're lifting some of the effect of the stimulus from the heavy weight. Or if you pull in a static bar and turn around and run over to a light bar and lift it, you're lifting some of the stimulus. So I thought to myself, what if I made a mach machine that did both? And that's how the static dynamic developer came to be. And right now we have four machines. Um, you know, we have a Jones machine for Olympic lifting or any type of barbell lift. We have a plyo swing, we have a belt squat, and we have a cable device for throwing, kicking, or doing takedowns, and I'll get into that later. Um, but uh, that's how, because, uh, you know, an athlete, an athlete must be strong and explosive, and um, so that's why we came up with these methods. Uh, it's a combination of two methods. I'd like to just start out by talking about the first method. First, you have to be strong. Tom, you know as well, uh, we've done experiments. What's my, what's my gym about? Experiments. And you yourself the other day, you, know, you had a rack pull with a lot of band. It was uh, 275 pounds with a uh, 250 pound of band. So then you got caught up with some really strong guys. And what did they use, like 400 pound of band plus mm -hmm. weight? So you did that, and the weight was tremendously hard, and the barbell weight was low, but the tension was very high because of the bands. But then, just Monday, uh, when you tried a new record, which was 275 previously, you pulled what? 465. 465. How did you do that? Contrast. 
because your brain, you, you know, you rely on the demands placed upon mm -hmm. yourself. And being maximal effort, that's what it did. And it also, and but also, as your max strength goes up, your explosive strength goes up as well, correct? Mm -hmm. All right. So first of all, you have to work about maximum strength. And if you look at maximum strength, um, the max effort method, basically, if, if Tom, uh, uh, Danny, if you want to read a little bit for me, um, you know, because the max effort does two things. It improves both intramuscular and intermuscular coordination. What is intramuscular coordination? Well, I've got the definition here. So intramuscular coordination. The nervous system uses three options to vary muscle force production. Recruitment, rate coding, and synchronization. All right. Now, a lot of people are very confused by this, but what is intramuscular coordination? That's the skill of using all the muscles, you know, the timing of different muscles within a particular lift. All right. Now, what's the greatest strength method known? Maximal effort method. And again, uh, if you would, please, would you uh, describe what maximal effort is and why it is very so important? You know, uh, just forget, folks, all you track people, a sprint is a maximal effort. It may take a 100-meter runner 10 seconds to do it, but it's max effort. Well, this is the definition in the science of practice mm -hmm. of, of strength training. The maximal effort method. The method of maximal effort is considered superior to improving both intramuscular and intermuscular coordination. The muscles in the central nervous system adapt only to the loads placed upon it. This brings forth the greatest strength increments. So that means you should use max effort as much as possible. Uh, we realized this years ago, but I also found out uh, prior to 1981, it was impossible to do all max effort work. That's why we brought in a dynamic method besides 72 hours later. You can do a maximal uh, stressful workout every 72 hours. The small works every 12 or 24. But on the max effort day, um, for your info, we that's where we do all kind of deadlifts, all kind of pulls, cleans and snatch, uh, box squats, front squat, overhead squats, all pressing motions. Um, so everything for one rep max. Max effort means effort. It is it's not uh, plural, it's singular. You work up to a one rep max. At all the contests I've ever gone to, I never did a double or a triple or five. I did one. And so you're always going in a contest, you do three lifts in one event. So you work up that way. Normally about 90% you'd open up with. Like if you could deadlift 500, you'd open up, you know, the way plates are. Uh, we'll, we'll just say 450 would be 90%. Then maybe 485 and then 505 for record. Be, take a five pound PR, break it once a month, and you're going to have 60 pounds in a year. Um, so uh, that's basically how you do that. And uh, another method, there's other methods to build. How, how is strength measured? It's measured isometrically, an isometric contraction. All right. Here, uh, what is isometric or static? It, it means basically constant length. This is how absolute strength is measured. Basically, you stand on a force plate or so forth. And that would determine, not by how much you squat, bench, or deadlift. Um, how do you do isometrics? Well, to get into it, uh, because this is the first part, remember static, and then we're going to talk about the overcoming. But how do you do isometrics? Um, no more than six second holds. It's a little tough if you hold your breath um, uh, with maximum tension. Use three to six positions. Basically, when you stand up, you're, what, 180 degrees? Six positions, they radiate 15 degrees either way. That adds up to 180. Um, so um, you want to do that. And that goes up and down. Like I said, you know, it's 15 degrees up or down. Uh, they're very taxing uh, while you're doing them, but you recover quickly. Uh, you want to take pretty good rest intervals. But my guys are in very top shape. We don't take very long. I mean, what do you think, Tom? We take a minute and a half. I mean, a minute and a half, we're doing, we'll do five exertions. Uh, we use the Hoffman method. For those of you who don't know, Bob Hoffman came up with it. He made a power rack in the early 60s. You would pull off one pin into a second pin. 
but where he would want to work. And uh, so that's basically what we do. It took a fellow here, Matt, winning years ago that couldn't, could not deal with six. Then he made six. Um, we put him on the floor. He was very weak on the floor. He's a big guy. And we had him lift from the floor up to six inches. And he would do sets of, you know, up and hit and hold and down, up and hit and hold for three to five reps. He would do normally around 15 to 20 exertions per workout. And within two years, he did it to 800 pounds in the contest. And I always felt that was the primary thing that made him do that. Um, so um, you want what you basically do, you pull up and then you, ex you uh, exert more and more tension till you reach 100%. You know, you could go up if you could figure it out, 80% or whatever you want. But basically, you want to reach 100%. And uh, that's the key. That's why the thing works. You can reach 100%. And you can work all these angles. For Olympic weightlifting, it's a very, very fast sport. And it's very hard to coach. But uh, but you can you can use four positions, you know, below the knee, um, at the knee, above the knee, and up on the upper part of the thigh where the explosion is. And while they're pulling, you can correct their form. As uh, Tom, you noticed yesterday, we're working uh, with Anthony and Wes McCormick, a world record holder in the squat at 165. But by pulling on the bar, they could rotate their hips forward and pull their shoulders back and get in proper position, which Wes is really not built to deadlift, but that's how we get him in proper position so he used the correct muscles. And um, so, you know, and we do static and dynamic in, in the same week. We do a lot of static work, and of course, we do dynamic work. Whenever after you use. Um, um, uh, static work, you always want to do exercises that are basically for flexibility, relaxation, and so forth. And, you know, if you look at for weightlifting, uh, you read the weightlifting books, it tells you 75% concentrically, 15 eccentrically, and 10 isometrically. That's for the clean, jerk, and snatch. Now, you remember in powerlifting, which we do, um, the squat and deadlift would be equal. You'd have to lower it and raise it. But then the, the deadlift, we did a lot of static work because the bar only has a concentric phase. Um, and, you know, in all the research I've ever seen, it's not clear which makes you stronger, um, static work or dynamic work. They've never found which makes you stronger. <clears throat> and all sports, you know, when you're in the box, you're, you're in a static position in a track field, you're in, or you're in a stance in the football game. So it's a, used a lot more than people think. Um, it can be used for explosive strength as well um, if one chooses to do so. You just basically pull against a pin as fast as you possibly can. The other day they were saying, well, why aren't you guys picking up? I wasn't concerned with them building explosive strength. I was wanting them to build maximal strength in the position. But if you blast a bar against a pin and hold it just for a split second, you will build explosive strength. It's basically all pins where the barbell's not resting on your chest at all. This is for a fast rate of force development. Um, <clears throat> so basically it builds isometric and it can build explosive depending on how you do it. Um, using two different methods. Uh, you have any questions, uh, Tom or Danny, about any of this? Comments? That's, um, That's the first part of it, the static portion. When can this be used for all athletes? So is is this uh, too advanced, maybe for novice or beginner athletes? Is this more? Um, okay, you know the research by the Russians, which I highly respect, said it shouldn't be used for um, you know adolescents, but. I've used this on 14-year-old boys, and I've used this on 16-year-old track girls with tremendous success. Every time they would do isometrics um, in, in, the, in, the iso, you know, in the Smith machine that we had, uh, they would break their sprint records. Every time. I used it to trigger the central nervous system three days before they would race. Okay. Yeah. Come on. Um, 
Tommy, yeah. you're always working with fighters. Mm -hmm. And you know, you talked about your day wrestling with uh, AJ. You work a lot of general work with AJ. Mm -hmm. Not not specific at all. He mm -hmm. does that inside a cage or a boxing ring. Mm -hmm. But then when you grapple with him, you said he's extremely strong. Extremely strong at all these strange angles. Yes, sure. and um, uh, Ori came back, you know, uh, out of, uh, he's a Greco wrestler, I think at the time he's ranked fourth. And I'm no wrestler, but I recall that uh, I tried to get underhooks on him. It was like trying to put my hands through a concrete wall. Mm -hmm. I couldn't even get my, I could not get a, my fingertips in there. And he, do, he does all undirected work, all general. And But uh, as a compliment, because he, he said his coach is from Belarus, but our weight training was better than theirs. And why? Because all just general work. So yes, it's for all athletes, and uh, you you know it's a fast way to get strong. One, the time it, it takes is very economical. It doesn't take very much time to do a lot of work. When you and you can work in precise angles where you want your mini max, or as most people call it, the sticking point. <clears throat> when you were saying uh, no, therapist dynamic methods versus isometric methods in developing strength. Uh, what do you mean by that? Just to explain. Well, it's never been proven which developed they, They've tested uh, people doing isometric workouts and people doing standard weight training with a barbell is eccentric and concentric. They never determined which one made you stronger. So obviously, you know, they both have a place. In, we, we know that, you know, dynamic work works, yeah. moving barbells up and down. Obviously, uh, isometrics does too. Because I've seen such a, a, a fast increase in strength. It is unbelievable. And, um, you know, when Danny Kovacs was over here, you put Chuck Vogelpohl in an, in an isometric uh, condition and then release what our, with our machine, you can really see what happens. You just, it's like the house is falling down. It's crazy. Um, you experimented with throwing punches and flying knees and so forth and takedowns for the sprawl. And how long did it take to see a visible uh, difference? How? Seven days. Seven days. Seven days, there's a noticeable difference. But I, I took a track girl who's going, going pro mm -hmm. within a month here and she did 30 box jumps. We took her down. You had her do about 12 jumps. Took mm -hmm. her back to the same box. She told me she was more explosive immediately mm -hmm. from going from static overcome by dynamic. Well, last time I visited here, we experimented with some jump squats on the uh, static dynamic. And yes. we'd hold a, a two, three second isometric and then you release and we'd do a, a vertical jump with the, uh, with the load. I think for a lot of athletes, that's a, it's a very valuable tool. And I think when that comes out, that's a, it's a great concept that a lot of people can use as a contrast method having that isometric and then straight into a, a way to jump with that device. So you can do it with a, with a squat variation, with a deadlift variation. Push press. Yep, I really think that's gonna be, uh, you know, explosive power with jumping is, is the way to do it. And you can contrast that with, with your weighted variations and the isometric side. Because that's exactly what it is, a contrast method. Yeah. Yes, and it, it's exactly what, uh, you know, Dr. Verfashansky and, and Bontajok did, but they didn't have a device like this. And uh, so now, you know, we have one. And we have them for, uh, it's going to actually be on many, uh, you know, there's going to be a lot of fitness equipment. What does a bodybuilder do? He, he does poses. What do you do when you pose? An isometric contraction. Mm -hmm. And so this will work for everything. A lot of bodybuilders do four or five reps on the leg extension, then hold the device, press as hard as they can for three or four seconds, release, do four or five more reps. And it gives a tremendous pump, even though the muscles aren't lengthening or shortening. But when you become stronger, you're going to become bigger. And if you don't have hard, dense muscles and you cut, you, you lose all your denseness. So uh, it's, it's great for uh, all, all type of equipment and all type of activities. Um, now, the second method of um, training, as we all know, is a dynamic method. Uh, basically, here one lifts or throws a submaximal load with the highest obtainable speed. All right, you know, you, it could be med balls for people who use med balls. For us, it's lifting weights. Uh, for explosive strength, we use 30 and 40% for explosive. That's high velocity. 
For, straight, for speed strength, we use 75 to 85%, or combinations if we use band 50 to 60, 25% band. Now, this is used by 780 highly skilled weightlifters. The documented data on them, uh, 50% of the training is there, so that's why we do it on speed day. And uh, what it, it does not make your absolute strength go up, but it does improve the, the rate of force development. Now, what's the most important thing in most sports? The first step. So that's what this builds. Explosive strength for explosive power is defined as uh, explosive strength is the ability to rapidly increase force. The steeper the increase of strength in time, the greater the explosive strength. Jumping is a prime example. That's why I jump. Weightlifting, Olympic weightlifting does not build explosive strength, coaches, just unless you use 30 to 40%. Don't take a 30-40% power clean and judge it against a maximum deadlift. you got to be smarter than that. Uh, if you take a 70% power clean and a 70% deadlift, they'll move at the same rate of speed off the ground, except the barbell on the deadlift is much higher and you develop greater force. Alex and Felix used this system years ago when she was uh, just beginning with um, Barry Ross. Got any? Got anything? Basically, if you want to work, you know, when we use weights of 30, or 30 to 40 percent, we use around 36 lifts can be done. We notice at that rate with three to six reps, the barbell never slows down. That was, it's optimal. We've actually done, I did this with a, a tremendous um, linebacker from Ohio State, uh, and uh, we did actually 48 lifts. So we basically come up 24 minimal, 36 optimal, 48 maximal. And anyone that can do the maximal should. And just for instance, when you do jumping, um, novices would do 24 jumps twice a week. Normally they could do three, you know, they basically would do eight sets of three I like to do in case they, I don't want them to you know, make sure they got maximal power in each jump. Uh, more advanced people, um, two sets of 40 twice a week. And for the real super freaks out there, you could do three sets of 40, 120 jumps a week. And so um, I believe that you jump up. I don't do Jeff jumps here. Um, we use a system called um, Momentum Impulse. I would rather for a person, if you jumped off a box and you weigh 200 pounds and you land with 450 pounds of force, your chances are you're going to hurt yourself. Uh, so I'd rather use 460 pounds of force in the bottom and jump on a box and land at zero velocity. It's a lot safer. You're producing the same, a greater force, and that's how it's measured. And you find out how fast your athletes are without running them. If they, can jump, if they gain weight and they jump higher, they're producing more force. It's as simple as that. So it's a, lot, it's a much safer way. I'm um, jumping, Lou. Um, you got your total volume, but for height, how do you base the number of jumps for on the height? Do you use uh, Prilipin's chart based on that? Uh, that's a simple way to do it. I wrote about this before, uh, 80%, 90%. If you jump on a 40-inch box and use 90%, uh, uh, you know, you would do, it would only accumulate to 10 jumps. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, a lot of people, that's all they're good for. If they start getting taxed or if they're afraid they're going to miss, and they always should land in the center of the box. They shouldn't land on the edge of the box like a lot of our people do. Yeah, right, Danny? 100%. You know, that, that means you are jumping out when you're landing in the center of the box. We use jumping as a, an indicator from our, our gym work. So if that powder body weight is going in the right direction, you see an increase in vertical. If someone's getting bigger and not producing more power, then you'll see that drop off. So for us, we look at vertical jump, we look at broad jump, uh, many different kinds of jumps, you know, loaded. Standing broad. Standing broad jump. Yes. So that's, they're all indicators that your, your strength program is, is going in the right direction. Exactly. That's great for grapplers. That's great for football and like rugby and all yep. sports like that. Um, well, look, you want to let's get into um, how we develop this machine. All right, we've got a machine right now 
that uh, we'll just take the simplest one. It's like basically in a Jones machine type setting. You can pull on this barbell statically. I can release a brake and you can move any weight you want. And uh, basically, again, if you want to build explosive strength, you would pull on the bar statically for two to six seconds and release and uh, live 30%. That would be for explosive strength. Like, um, Danny, you were saying, I think we do a couple holds and then do maybe two, two or five reps in the jump. You know, just watch a person. If they don't, if we had a force plate, as soon as force would go down, we wouldn't do any more jumps. Um, so that's one way to do it, you know. And um, so we constantly, and the holds, like I said, two to six seconds. Here you can build up 100% muscle tension. When anyone, just like a car, if a car develops 500 horsepower at 8,000 RPMs, and it starts out at 1,000, it has to get to 8,000 to develop 500 horse. But like nitrous, you hit a button. If you got a 350 shot of nitrous, you hit a button, you got 350. That's how this machine works. You build up 100% uh, force and then release the button. So you're moving, your instead of building tension against a lighter weight, it's already built. That's why it works. Because you're moving 30%, but you think it's it may be 100%. That's exactly why, you, Tommy, your band deadlifts went way up and used a lot of bands, and it... And it, what, it took a week? Mm -hmm. In one week, uh, you've done this. People go, that's impossible. It's not impossible. Um, you just don't have the people that's able to do this stuff. I noticed that, too, when we were, um, when I had AJ doing punching. He was pushing, punching, and he couldn't believe the rate of force development he had in his hands. His hand speed went up as a byproduct, but his punching power went up. And that went up only with three sessions and that, with that attachment. And no hitting pads harder, hitting people a lot harder, mm -hmm. um, but with minimal effort, which is what you want. Right. You don't want to wear yourself out. No. Exactly. Ex relax, explosive power. That's what sprinting is. You can always tell a good sprinter by his facial expressions. You know, they got relaxed facial expressions when they run. Mm -hmm. Actually, if so does a fighter. <laughs> you know, they tense up. They got the jaw tense. They're probably going to get knocked out. Um, you know, this machine, uh, so you understand where we're going so far. And like I said, if you want to build speed strength, you would load your, your weights to 75 to 85%, pull on a static bar, release, and, and then move 75 to 85%. And uh, it can also be used for, the, for reversal strength. You can get underneath this machine, and basically it's a, a, drop, a drop machine, just like it, it, it developed kinetic energy. I can set the machine I, and have you underneath it, and I can drop the bar, and you have to catch and, re, and re, re, uh, rebound it back up like you would a med ball. All right? Um, a guy was here one time. He goes, well, I got shot putters. I need something to throw overhead I, and, and stay. I go, here you are. He, he threw the bar overhead, hit the, hit the brake. There it was, held overhead. So that's why this machine has so many uh, different methods of training. And um, so the free fall is one of them, and the static dynamics one. And um, it's also, uh, you, it can also be used for maximum centrics. I've, I've never seen it uh, do much. Use it very heavyweight, slowing and very slow. Uh, they claim it uses 150% more muscle tension, but it never made anyone any stronger. Olympic lifters would do this because they basically fall. Here in America, they just basically fall down the squat. If you look at the Chinese, they lower themselves down in the squat, and a lot of times they'll pause in the bottom and come up. But America don't. So you need to do eccentric work. Uh, we were talking about this already, about the amount, you know, about how to break down eccentric, concentric, and static work in, in Olympic weightlifting. We've already talked about that. Um, but you can load up a bar, Tommy, if you deadlift, uh, we'll say you deadlift 700 pounds. So I can load up the bar to 750 pounds. Have you, uh, you know, start to pull on a static bar. And you pull hard as you can, and I release it. And you're going to fight that weight downward. 
And so you could do that because you're pulling 100% and then you start to lower somewhat less than what you've actually exerted against because you're in the most advantageous position possible. Or you could do it, you could do it for the knee and then lower it down after I release the button. All right? So uh, it's, it's, very, it's, it's very durable and can do a lot of different things. And remember, you always want to use, for standing up exercise or any sport where you stand up, use six different positions. Um, you work each position. And you can do, basically, the Russians would do isometrics for two or three weeks in a row. And then they would abandon them for a while, just like we do. And they move on to something else and they go back to them. It's like everything. Isometrics really worked in the 60s, but it got to be overused. And then everyone forgot about them and never used them again. It's the craziest thing I've ever seen. It's like, you know, just the way things go, I guess. Human nature. You know, if it's good, it's, you know, if, if it's good, it's got to be so good, that's all you got to do, and it doesn't work. You have to, you always have to do dynamic weight training. With this, um, would you use this as an accessory work? So you do your main movement, then you do your, your, some of your accessories, then you put this in, or can you rotate it in wherever you feel like? You could do a whole isometric workout, but lately, we because the guys have been doing very heavy training, mm -hmm. and so at the end, we have to do isometric, and we need to bring our deadlifts up, so we'll do uh, isometric deadlifts when we're done. And or they can be isometric benches. I'm correct in thinking if, if you're a coach and they're doing the isometric portion of this exercise, you'll be able to see weaknesses and flaws in technique from watching them, and then you'll be able to assess how to use that and then use the accessory work to correct it. Right, that's what I meant. I mentioned. If your guy holds a bar, you know, you, anyone seen an Olympic lifter or a real one do the second pole, it is so fast it's in the blink of an eye, right? But if they hold a bar there, then the coach can coach it. It's easy to coach. You know, even with a, with a camera, you can see the flaw. But how do you correct it while he's doing it? You can't correct it to the next rep. But that on that rep, like we did it, we had the guys roll their pelvic forward and their shoulders backwards while they're pointing against the pin. Now, you, you know, if you want to exert weights, uh, for instance, if you want to exert, uh, Danny, if you want to have your lifter exert 80% um, in a bench press, use the Hoffman method. You can load, the, you can load this bar up to, eight, to um, well, if you could bench 400 pounds, load the bar to 320 pounds, and then press it up. And then we would set the, we would hold it. You'd have to hold it there in a locked position. You know, like if you didn't have the machine, you'd press from one pin to a second, hold 320 against that pin as long as you can, hopefully three to six seconds. That's what the Hoffman method was. This machine is so simple, and there's no pins in, pins out. You can start the machine one inch, two inch, three inch, until you're six foot, seven foot off the ground. An inch at a time if you want to do it. And this you'd wave, like you'd progress it every week like you would accessory work or would just go well, on performance how would you well right now uh, we're having the guys pull the barbell up to six inches off the ground then uh, well two weeks ago this week we did eight inches off the ground and next week it's going to be ten inches off the ground so we work three different positions uh, here as you well know our power racks the, the, uh, on pin three uh, that's our hardest pin right right basically at everyone's knee it's a, it's a biggest lower back taxer so uh, we do a lot of pulls right there. If they break that th pin three record, they break their deadlift record. Sumo or conventional. We all pull conventional in the power rack. And uh, so we work, that's why we're working up to that third position. So we, we'll change positions. Again, remember, you got to change positions. You know, if you just work one position, you get monstrously stronger one, but then you're going to run into, a, <laughs> the, you know, five inches up, you might not be able to budge any more than you did before. So you do got to work throughout the full range of motion. And I imagine at the start of using this, you're going to have to get over the CNS fatigue because it's going to be hard. But like anything, if you keep at it, your work capacity will increase and then you yield the benefits from it. It's like anything. Like, uh, you know, um, <clears throat> Borshika was here. 
and in all the Russian books. The greatest lifters in the world do the highest volume. We do extremely high volume. Our, we have 198 to do 150,000 pounds twice a week on the squatter deadlift. That's why, you know, they're, uh, that's why we got a 165 and squats 890. He jumped from 800 to 890 in less than a year. He went from 1880 to 2080 in less than the very same time period after he moved here and how he adapted to this amount of training. You know, it's a fighting. Uh, you used to fight, Tom, if you did boxing, you know, you as an amateur, you fight three rounds. Well, how would you ever go to four and then six round fights as a pro, then eight, then 10, and 12? You have to reach your work capacity. And the very same thing, so I, it's exactly this, as you go on, your work capacity will raise with the static work. Uh, before you go on, uh, just, just for the viewers, I'd just like to tell them that this has a brake. There's a hydraulic brake that's on it, and it stops wherever. You pull the handle, it'll stop it 100% in that given angle. And it's the same um, on the adjustable cable. If you want to adjust it for, um, you can do it from blocks. We, we did takedowns, we did sprawls, even some of the guys did burpees on them. So you can adjust it wherever you want. And it's and the coach, from a coach's point of view, you can fully control where it stops and how, when to let it go. And I just wanted to just get a mental picture that it's a brake. So you pull the handle, and when you pull the handle, it applies 100% uh, force to the brake, and it will not move. And then you let it go, and it's 100% on the athlete to go. So I just wanted to clarify that. Yes, like, uh, you know, all sports start with the hip. So you can put a baseball player or you can throw a punch and you can put the cable device around their hip. So then when they swing the bat or throw a punch, as their hip rolls forward, it develops all that force. Force is developed from the ground up into the arm, not the other way around. And, uh, you know, you watch a lot of people land big right hands. Uh, pay attention. If their back foot's off the ground, they don't knock a guy down. They lose all that force. So it's all about the, you know force production into the ground, much like a javelin thrower. This is I mean it's a great for javelin throwing or baseball throwing or anything like that, uh, because um, uh, as you step forward, all the weight is transferred in the front arm. Once you release that in the arm releases, it's all about arm whip and uh, planting the first the front foot for the kinetic energy in a javelin. That's basically what a javelin throw is. Once you learn the technique. Uh, again, there's four machines, a bell squad, a plow swing, a jones machine, and, and the cable device that you've used quite extensively. Um, you talk about, you can do anything with it. Um, you know, for throwing, you can throw a football, baseball, shot put, discus. Uh, you can use a baseball bat, a golf swing, flying knee for fighters, hip extensions, um, three-point stance for takedowns and sprawls like you did, jumps. You name it, you can do it. I don't think there's anything that you can't do. Any sports activity can be duplicated here. You could put, right now, we have a blocking pattern in our bell squat machine. Um, you jump up and hit that, you know, you've got maximum tension on the hips, release, hit the blocking pad. Uh, the same thing in the, in the cable device, you can do all this. And with the cable device, you could do any direction. You could go right, left, um, um, forward, whatever you want to do. So, um, basically, uh, you know, and you got, it's multi-purpose. And the, in the Jones machine... What can you do with that? Well, you can bench press, incline, decline, seated press, standing press, jerk, push jerk. You can back squat, front squat, jerk squat, overhead squat, box squat. You can jump um, with a bar in your hands, like a lot of Olympic lifters jump off the ground with the bars in their hands or bars on your back. And uh, again, you can do super maximal eccentrics, basically safe because if it gets out of control, oh, you go, what do you got to do, Tom? Hit the brake. And um, so. Um, you got any more any more questions? This, uh, on top of developing strength and special strength, these machines could be unbelievable for, from a conditioning point of view too. 
because if, if you're in if you're held in an eye like isometrically you burn up so much energy and then you release you could do quasi isometrics you could do a whole lot of different ranges on this how do you do quasi because this machine is basically also um, designed for isokinetics we can set this machine where it only moves at one velocity a very slow velocity and that's what a lot of uh, you know they use isokinetics for instance for rehabilitation so you could do, you know, like for a rotator, you could do a rotator exercise in very slow motion, then you release and go back and do it again. And uh, so it could be, it's a multi-purpose, these machines are multi-purpose. Uh, I truly believe if the coaches have an eye, an open eye, this is going to change uh, weight training in the, in the world from this point when it comes out. It's going to be much like Nautilus, for it did in the fitness world. This will do for the sports world. In terms of... Um Muscle recruitment. Obviously, isometrics is going to recruit a whole lot more. Maximum. That's how you <laughs> test maximal maximal strength, absolute strength. You know, you can push on a bar till you pass out. You know what I mean? <laughs> so you can push on. You know, you, if you want, that's what you want to do. You know, uh, there's a lot of research I've read, uh, Dan, about isometrics, and the Russians found out that. Uh, I mean, that's why I read this, and I got to think of why wrestlers are so strong. How's this 140 pound wrestler so damn strong? You know, uh, because uh, if you don't use maximum um, isometrics, you just pull on it, we'll say 70 or 80%, but for long periods of time, uh, they believe it makes you just as strong as pulling on a bar as hard as you can. And, uh, you know, which is very hard on the respiratory system if you hold, a, hold your breath for three to six seconds. There's, a, you know, pros. Um, it doesn't gain, you don't gain any weight. It doesn't take a long time to do it. And uh, there's a couple, there's a lot of pros and cons, but one con, you don't gain weight. <laughs> and but one of the major pros talking to our uh, re remember uh, John Quint told us Tom that isometrics did not cause inflammation <laughs> so you're pulling because the muscles aren't lengthening or shortening they're held in a, a fixed position you have little uh, inflammation now that's good for me being old and like to train you know I got enough inflammation so that'll be great from a rehab point of view because you can adjust the angle of where you put the isometric uh, tension on right that's never thought of that that's huge I think there's a, a big scope for uh, for variation with our the West Side system you guys use for max effort and for dynamic effort with this new device. Like we've last time I was here, we used it for speed bench, we used it for uh, for max work with our, our deadlifting with an isometric and for assistance work. So there's a whole new scope of different variations you can use with this device within the system. Shane, Shane Hammond had spent about three years there, right, Tom? And he told me one day, I said, he says, I think I figured out what you do. You know, after three years, I said, Well, what do I do? He says, you have new means, you have new methods, or you bring in a new person for stimulus. And I said, you, you got it. Right now, we've got a new guy. What's happening to the gym, Tom? It's going up. It's going up. You've got to have new stimulus, guys. You know, all you weightlifters out there, Olympic weightlifters, you cannot have a set of rubber plates and a set of weightlifting shoes. You need a special means equipment. If you look at the weightlifting manuals, you see exactly what I have. You see belt squat machines. Um, you see plyometric swings, you see a glued hand bench, you see all these devices they had. The more devices you got, uh, one of them is bound to work for you. We've seen, and uh, all, all my devices, now this is off, but again, uh, like it, it, what the cable device you could definitely use. We, uh, I remember I did seminars with Dr. Mel Siff, a very intelligent man of biomechanics. He, Mel was very upset because he wanted to do test the knees and a forced thesis and they wouldn't let him squat. And Mel was really mad about this. And so he had to do single joint, leg extension, stuff like that. And I go, yeah, that's retarded. All my years I thought that's retarded. But then I got to thinking about our training system. 
Our exercises isolate single joint. Our inverse curl, the hamstring, the reverse hyperbasic lower back, you know, basically. Uh, the belt squat isolates the hips and the glutes. We do single joint exercise. We do uh, tricep extensions. Uh, we do single joint. Tommy, your posture's changed so much and your strength went up by doing what? The wheelbarrow shrugs. Wheelbarrow shrug. You're going like, am I going to wheelbarrow shrug? What the hell's wrong with you? Well, does it work? Mm -hmm. You're damn right it does. And um, so, uh, there's, you know, you change single joint. So these, for people who want to go, and I'm not a salesman, I'm not trying to say something, but if you think you can get by with a barbell and a pair of shoes, you're crazy. The Russians didn't have a barbell and a pair of shoes. They had sports scientists developing every means possible. That's where the, the glute hand bench came from, the cap and glute for valley boards off and weightlifters. They used the pommel horse and, and wall ladders then. You know, uh, they never even had a glute hand there. They got over here, Dr. Yeses and Bud Conigan brought the idea back and they manufactured it here. Fred Hatfield spoke about compound lifts are only good if the weakest muscle group in that lift is what you're trying to hit. And that's, that's right. why isolation for assistance work is the way to do it, you know, through isolated means. So it's, you know, you can't just do compound lifts for every exercise and think you're going to hit that particular That's area. why the static work works. And yep. that's why they suggest using it more than, you know, six, six positions. Yep. And that's, that's big what you said earlier about stimulus. You can't just keep doing the same thing. You go into autopilot. And we spoke about that. It's doing the same thing again and again and again you need new stimulus you know whether it's training means or training methods or this new piece of equipment so it's it's constant stimulus to force adaptation last week i watched high state play indiana and you know some of my buddies they've been coming here for 20 years the, the guy now is the ad there they come out we, we just knew we were going to blow them out of the water but that would turn out to be a pretty tough game we couldn't get the passing game going because they used something called a bear defense and allowed an extra linebacker to, to plug up all the passing routes so our quarterback had to run the ball 26 times. Very same thing. You, they adapted. They, when they came, they had a game plan. And without a plan, you plan to fail. If it's not an advantage, it's a disadvantage. So they basically outsmart a high state for the most part of the game because they never could get the passing game going. Why? Because they made a change from the week before. Your Russian manuals always talk about the conjugate method mm -hmm. building technique, enhancing technique but, by that, these different variations. Thank and, you, Dan. And, and we spoke about this, Tommy, about a skill is not about just repeating the same thing again and again and again. It's you learn by the differences. So you learn by these isometric means or full range, partial range. And when you come back to the competitive skill, you should be better. And that's where you need to have that variation. It's not if you had to hit a target with a with a ball, you don't just have that same spot and throw again and again and mm -hmm. again. You learn by the differences by f going further back or closer or a high position or a low position. And that's essentially what the conjugate method is. You're doing all these different variations so that you learn all these different breakdowns and you distort distort technique, but it actually you, you learn proper technique through that. So, uh, you know, it's not, it's not about playing the sport, you know, basketball and getting better. You need to break it down. You know, it might be half court or full court or it's, you know, three on three or, you know, you change, distort the game to enhance, you know, the main thing. And that's essentially what the Russian manuals talk about. And that's conjugate and that's, that's West Side, you know. You guys have good technique by distorting all these different exercises and concentric only, reverse band, against band, chains, isometric, all these different means. And that, that's, that's how you perfect skill and technique, not by the same repetition. You're a strength coach and a good one, as yep. far as I know. And, and you're doing exactly the right thing because you cannot work on specific skills in a weight room. That's what's done on a field, in a ring, in a cage, or on a court. Yep. Uh, I've seen too many strength coaches try to make a football player in the weight room. It does not work. Um, I watched, uh, I was at a, a, a camp, I was working there, 
and I watch a guy run bowling players backwards, and that guy stops and says, he basically says, why in the hell am I running backwards? I've been running backwards since I was six years old, and I thought, well, that makes sense. Why is he running backwards? And, and is, why is the street coach got him doing the drills that does on football field? You know, you want to do general exercises, like Tommy talked about general and undirected exercises. When an Olympic lifter, if you look at Perlopin's chart, he talks about what, at 70% weights, you do 24 lifts. But then if you look at the Russian manuals, they're doing, if you add up, they're doing way more than 24 lifts a, a week. They're doing much more than that. So how? Um, they're doing it with spatial exercises, and it doesn't matter if technique breaks down in spatial exercise. has no effect on coordination, timing, or uh, technique. And that's where, and, and like in the weightlifting in America, that's where they mess up. They think that they got to keep doing it. Freaking lifts over and over. We never squat. We never do a regular. Okay, a back shift. We don't do a regular deadlift ever off the ground. Yet our top top 10 average is 866 pounds. But we don't do any deadlifts. Well, track and field, you know, as we've spoken before, I like a lot of Charlie Francis's work, and he was way ahead of his time. And he says... He still is. Still is. And he says uh, the weight room is GPP on the track is GP is uh, SPP. SPP and that's uh, that's really really important this is all you're building that general ability there's general special and specific and I think too many coaches make the uh, the weight room too specific for their sports and then they lose the ability to overload and create create things you know you've got the book the transfer of training to sports you know what I think the gym does provides confidence and that's that's a big transfer onto the, uh, the sporting field if you're a bigger stronger athlete more powerful that transfers just as much as any any other exercise. Right up here in your head. 100%. You know, conjugate method, a lot of people always think that exercise is also volume and intensities. These things have to change. Our volume and intensity changes every 72 hours. It goes from high volume to low volume, uh, moderate intensity to maximal 100% plus intensity. And Tom, we have a stat guy, uh, Joe, and uh, we break all-time records, the entire gym, over 90% of the time. Now, if my gym is breaking records, over 9% of the time all year long, chances are I'm going to kick your ass when we go to these meets. And we do. And that's exactly why. And the, a big thing that people don't realize in the gym is that because there's so many training partners in there, there's so many people mm. to learn from, on the spot, we can drop something. If it's not working, get rid of it, and we can find something else to do because the answer is always in the gym. And we're always researching, doing something different, seeing what works. And something's not working for me, but I've got two people that are kicking my ass. I'm like, well, what the fuck is that guy doing? How is he getting better? And then you try it, and if it works for you, it works for you. If not, you go on to the next person. Mm -hmm. But there's always this constant um, data coming into you, and that's the importance of training partners. That's what people forget. The training partners are the most, they're nearly more important than anything you can have. What has boosted our gym lately? What has boosted our gym lately? Somebody, old guys coming back. Jake mm -hmm. Anderson, Chuck Vogelpool, Joe Bayless. Why? Because they've been here for years. They know the system. Everyone wants, like a business, you can't run a business. You start a business. Why would you start with new personnel and know nothing about the business when you've got old personnel that's been in for 25 mm -hmm. years? Need their experience. You know, you got to feel like you said, there's a, any question can be answered in our gym. Mm -hmm. uh, one thing, I don't want to get off on other tangents, but it's uh, exercise specificity. You know, I, I see in track, you, people that run 200 meters, but they got them running 2,000 meters. This is the dumbest thing I've ever seen. If no one if you've ever read a book, you're going to find out it cannot work. It just makes no sense. I, I was talking to Tom the other day, and uh, uh, Travis uh, Clark. You know he does he does a uh, you know Muay Thai. He does uh, boxing, and uh, primarily right now in MMA. So when so when, when when he trains for boxing, Tommy, how many minute rounds do you have him do in the weight room? Three. Three minutes. When he trains for MMA fight, how many rounds do you have him do? Five. Five. When he trains for boxing, you don't have him do five minutes. Mm -hmm. No, why would you? It's a waste of time. 
Everybody thinks that's going to stay with it. It does not. And like I was saying, you know, we had this little thing in the gym here day. I said, like running a mile, it's not going to do nobody no good two weeks later when they go to run a sprint. So when you and Travis went out, he had a fight, and he was off for a while, correct? Mm -hmm. So you guys go around a half a mile, had a hard time. Mm -hmm. Before, it was a joke. All right. So, see, it never held with you. It's a, it does not hold. It goes away in two weeks. Basically, the higher skilled you are, it goes away quicker. Um, but then when you got back, you had But that's your skill. Mm -hmm. it's, um, it's strength endurance. you got to have strength endurance. you got to work strength endurance. I've got two sprinters. One's very fast at the, in the beginning, but slows down at the end. So I make her do longer distance because women have a acceleration rate shorter than a man. They have to maintain top speed longer than a man. And then the other is slow takeoff, so we have her do different distances, distances than the other girl. they got to train, but they're equal in talent. They're both going to be pros. I've got so, a thing I want to bring up to you. What I learned like um, working with Matt and all the fighters here <clears throat> is that when I was distant from all their other coaches, I didn't wow. know what was going on. But then I found out when I, Adam, Dorian, um, Carlos, all myself, we got together, I was asking them, well, is this really working? And they gave me so much valuable feedback, saying, well, yeah, this is working. He's weak here, weak there. And then we, we get constant feedback, but we always share ideas, so we're always on the same page. Um, that's something I think is missing a lot. I think everyone has their individual, but they don't get outside their box. I'll say this, but you're 100% right, because I asked the other day what, what some of my girls are going to do, and he says, it don't matter. You can do anything I want with them. I'm not going to overtrain my girls on my half and then have them overtrain them on if I got a big workload today, I'm going to cut my workload back. Mm -hmm. If they don't have much of a workload, I'm going to have them do a lot of stuff. You're right, Tommy. You have to work. I, what we're talking about in our communication. Mm -hmm. You got to communicate. And, and here's something else, coaches. If you coaches listen to me, you ever listen to your athletes? Do you ever get any feedback from your athletes? You got to get feedback from the athletes because if you don't, you're not a coach. Uh, I know when coaches come here, if they won't try our equipment, I know they're not. I mean, I just consider them not that good a coach. If I got a guy gets on this stuff, and oh my God. Because, you know, it's like sex. Until you do it, you know, know nothing about it. You got to get on it and you got to do it. You got to train with us. I said, no, what do I say? You come to my gym, you're working out. You're not watching. You know, I want to watch. No, you're not watching my gym. This ain't a watch gym. Mm -hmm. It's just a workout gym. So you got to have communication. Well, on that, we spoke about mm -hmm. skill and physical conditioning going up together. You can't neglect one and no. overemphasize they, another. It's got to be together. They all three have to go up. Yeah. And like, well, if we go back to track, I don't want to talk to much because I'm going to do a track. But you, you got the you know the accumulation phase, then you have the transformation phase where you you drop out some of the exercises general and non-specific, and then you get into the uh, specific phase of where they're going to be a sprinter, high jumper, and so forth, and then you get into the competition phase. Well, that competition phase is very short. Um, not long ago, I asked my one sixty-five. At the time, he had eight fifty-five squat. Tommy, within three weeks, am I, am mm -hmm. I guessing? Three weeks, I said, Wesley, I got a business meeting. In Tennessee, I want you to go down there. Let's get down and break world record squat. World record is 887. Wesley says, okay. We did a circumax. We delayed two weeks. We went down, and Wesley broke the world record. All right? He did that under three weeks. Why would my track person, I just talked to a sprinter that they're thinking she's going to go to the 2020 Olympics. She ha uh, she's a hurdler. Has not jumped over a hurdle in five and a half months until she went to a hurdle, a special hurdle coach. And the coach goes, what the hell's going on there? And I said, I'm going like, I agree. Why in the world wouldn't you jump over for five and a half months? There's no off-season for athletes. The only body that gets a vacation is a student. Athletes don't get vacations. You, you, all, you, Danny, you said it right. Everything has to go up at one freaking time. 
Man, I, if Tommy can make a, an athlete so condition, it's pathetic. But if he can't fight, he's getting his ass kicked. He can fight like crazy. But if he if the guy bowls him over and gets him down the ground and pounds him, he's out of the fight too. you got to raise everything at once. And you know what? I noticed too, injuries go way the fuck down if non-existent. Because of because um, we'll go back to um, from our point of view when you got a Muay Thai coach a wrestling coach a Jiu Jitsu coach you got these are all bad motherfuckers these are all guys they're all alpha males and they all have their way of training mm. but if you don't have anyone watching everything the Jiu Jitsu guy is going to go all out wrestling's going to go all out Muay Thai's going to go all out boxing's going to go all out then they come into the gym they're so fucking overtrained I can't do a thing I, I literally do joint integrity work yeah. but then they're missing out on what we do exactly. Until you get on the same page, but what happens is, at least I'm, sm- or we're smart enough here to know we can't train this guy. But when you get a strength coach who's not that intelligent, who can't tell this, then they put him through the grinder there, and they get injured. They get injured. Now, Dan, um, I mean, I, I talked about this, but you you did this about uh, in the off season. You have wrestlers come in, so you really don't have an off season in a way. Your physical preparedness is devoted in, for the entire year. So, what happened when you brought him in, and then what happened during the next season? We start full contact first week of our, our pre-season training, our off-season training. So, you know, you need to have uh, exposure to the stimulus of the game. So we try and expose them to, to loads harder than what they're going to have in a game. So you need to have that exposure to contact. Otherwise, you get in-season, you haven't done that work, you're going to get injuries. And I think if you prepare people well in the weight room through general means, it allows them to do the specific means. It's, uh, you know, work capacity for, for athletes, you know, GPP. So... You need to expose them to uh, to loads to prevent them from getting injured in their game. But to do that, you need to start them early and, and have a big general base, as you speak about. But you brought wrestlers in in the offseason, correct? And yep. you said you had a few injuries, but way less injuries during the season. Correct, yep. That, does that work counts during yeah, the season? 100%. Yeah, you see so many injuries in football because these kids are weak. These kids are bigger and stronger today. They're bigger and weaker today. That's why they get hurt. You get hurt, you pull a hamstring, get a weak hamstring. That's all there is to it. You get a concussion. You got a weak neck. These helmets are freaking NASA now from NASA, but they still get concussions. Why? Because you're afraid to train their neck. You got to train what they don't have, guys. I like to talk about um, coaches who are afraid to do maximum effort work. You are like uh, we've had coaches here who'd rather do ten reps, eight reps. Six. It doesn't matter. You are only as strong as you are, so you can only you can get injured. No. Now, 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 there's going to be an exception to every rule. You're going to have someone, but that's just the, that's just math. But don't be afraid. If if you wrap up your athletes, especially who are in contact sports, in cotton wool, in the weight room, they go out in the field. They're going to get destroyed. Like what Dan, the way the way that you do it over there is you introduce them to contact sports earlier on. So when they go on the field and they're in full contact, maximal contact, then they're used to it. Mm-hmm. This is where all these coaches screw up on. And they're afraid of max effort, but what if you're not doing max effort on a football field here in America, you're not even in the game. They're mm-hmm. taking you out of the game. I mean, it's all about max effort. And you know, Tommy, if I give you these glasses, we're not on camera, I say, okay, Tom, go ahead and bend my glass. You bend my glass one time. Well, I've still got my, it's still, but I, you bend it 10 times, you'll break it. Mm-hmm. When you do 10 reps, the weakest joint of your body is going to give out. That's where the injuries come from. We go through this all the time. I brought coaches in and said, read that. Read that. What, what's the greatest amount of strength training? They read max effort method. We're, and, and then they said, but I do clusters. I go, did you not just read what this genius wrote in this book? But that's the problem. There's no education. Um, you know, the Russians, they have a, a sports school. We just talked to a gentleman a minute ago, just went over in uh, Ukraine for a sports school. Uh, 
there's no sports school here in America. You graduate with a degree, but not in coaching. So it you may take you 10, 15 years to actually really learn how to be a coach. Um, we have a degree here that, uh, you know, it's a tough, was 120 questions? Mm -hmm. And uh, most people are definitely got a college education or, or a master. And what's their failure rate? It's actually up to 86. It's 86% failure rate. So that's how much does the classroom work is getting them here in America. Or even, a, you know, that's why you got guys running miles, have a person run a mile that runs a 200-meter race. It's, it's retarded. Exercise specificity. It's a word I learned many years ago. Yeah. It, it, it's, you know, Bonacek, what, what says, it says transfer a training in sports. What he really says is, what he doesn't say is, it, it does no good to be strong in wrong exercises. What, the transfer, if you don't get a transfer into sports, it doesn't do you any good. And that these these what they're doing here, you're not, you know, you, they either overdo it or they underdo it or they don't do it at all. It's crazy. What stood out on Monday? You had uh, Max Effort lower body here in the uh, in the box squat with uh, Buffalo Bar. Your ability of your athletes to grind through with top weights because you're exposed mm -hmm. to you know Max Effort every week. I think if you're not having that specificity of load. You get to the point where you've got to fight and grind, and you don't have it. Where you guys are maxing out every week, and it teaches you how to strain under under maximal loads. Where if you ain't doing that, ain't gonna ain't gonna be grinding those big weights that you boys, you know. We got on that on that squat. That was pretty amazing. All of them had that ability to grind. That's right. Well, you you bring up that point, but we have one person. If the weights be, begin to even get hard, they just let it go right now. Mm -hmm. And he cannot get it through their head. You've got the freaking strain. And Tommy, you're right. Like if you get me in a chokehold, I'm gonna I'm gonna tap quicker than a drum major. All right. But other guys, you said you got cars to chokehold for two minutes and he squirmed out. I mean, if I'm going to lift the weight, your goji tendon is going to make you. Young lifters are not going to get hurt if they got adequate form. They're just going to stop pulling on a bar. I'm not going to run. I'm not going to go out with Danny and go for a two mile run. I'll run 200 feet. Say, see you, Danny. I'm not going to pass out and die because I'm like oxygen. And that's one thing that static dynamic can teach is the ability to strain with those isometrics mm -hmm. and you get exposure to it week in, week out. Um, and that's that's where it has a place. Like there are guys that are afraid to strain, afraid to grind because they don't have exposure to it. And that's that's one way to introduce, you know, guys that have that inability is through isometric work throughout static dynamic. If you've never seen silver stars, then you've never maxed out. When you see silver stars floating around in front of you for about two, three minutes, then you're learning to max out. Well, you know, from the other day, again, on uh, on Monday, Max Effort, you had uh, Luke Edwards, who's just amazing, his uh, his mentality. And he was doing some uh, suspended good mornings mm -hmm. with Chuck and uh, Dimitri. And after one of his top sets, I'm pretty sure he was seeing stars. Yeah. And that's what makes him a great lifter and that's a great right. deadlifter, the ability to, to handle those, you know, big weights and grind. The guy, after a kidney replacement, squatted 1,000 pounds. Now he's had two kidney replacements, he's still lifting. Yeah. He just squatted 760 and dealt to 690, 198. And that's a mentality that is unique to, you know, your system, you know, of conjugate at, at Westside Barbell. You're, uh, it's building character. Mm -hmm. You're not just going through these same exercises, sub-maximal weights, week in, week out. You're testing character. You're building character at maximal uh, weights and also, you know, explosive power on your speed day. It's, right. You have to train it all. Yeah. We train maximal strength explosive strength or speed strength yep. and we build hyperpathy where we want it by a joint yeah that's i think often overlooked what this system develops is that mental character and that yeah. you know uh you know and our art guy was amazed he's talked about this why don't we have soft tissue injuries i mean we do stuff that you'd be locked up for but we don't get hurt they don't get pec strains they don't get uh, low back strains they don't get hamstring strains 
But then you bring some person in the gym, they get hurt immediately. You know, yeah. they, how many people, Tommy, have you seen to come here? We have to fix them, then we can train them. And here's the biggest thing I see. Everybody who comes here, I have not met one person who's come here, who's a professional athlete or was a oh. professional athlete, they start training, they always say the same thing. Geez, if I had this at the start, I would have been a world record holder, I would have been the best, or I would be still in sports. Right. And we've had people come here at the end of their, their careers and extend it. They've extended their careers by two or three uh, years, which is huge when you're making big bucks. If I had Tiger Woods here, if you're listening, Tiger, you'd be in golf right now. You know, you're wasting your time. Whoever's working with you, you're, you're a sucker. You're paying somebody a lot of money, and you're getting nothing out of it. I don't even charge. If you come here, give me two months, I will fix you. And the same, and watch. Now, I'm not talking about uh, J.J. Watts. He's too damn big. J.J., if you listen to this, come to Westside. No charge. We will fix your back. I broke mine twice. I, you know, doctors know bad backs. I know healthy backs. Big difference. Mm-hmm. And I want, I want you back on the field, man. Well, the reason why there isn't any injuries is because you're exposing them to these loads week in, week out. Mm-hmm. You're not doing these phases that don't transfer from one to the next. You know, you spoke about A will transfer to B, but it won't transfer from A to C. You guys are consistently have a formula week in, week out of doing these things, and that's why you don't have injuries. That, that, and that's why our wave periodization works. We don't do a, a weight block periodization. You know, when you when you train a block for, we'll say, a muscle, high, you know, in the beginning for hyperpathy, then you go to power, then you go to strength, well, you've already lost your hyperpathy. Yep. And then the problem with that, I did this for 11 years. When you get close to the contest and, you know, I just got on the guy, said the intensity goes up, the volume goes down. They can't work. Our volume stays the same, does it not, Tom? You're in, you're out. Because if you want to squat 800, you have to have the volume on you to squat 800. If you want to fight 12 rounds, you got to have the conditioning to fight 12 rounds. I mean, that's why we don't get hurt. And these people are constantly hurt, but they say, oh, that stuff don't work. Well, I don't see these people going to these pro meets. I've, I've, we, Tom, you've gone to pro meet with 25 lifters. We'll have 18 of them. Mm-hmm. <laughs> What's up with that, dude? You know what I mean? Went to the deadlift meet, too. We finished first, second, third, and fourth. <laughs> and they never had it the next <laughs> year. Begged us to come. Oh, uh, Danny. No, as a year after you. Yeah. Uh, my, thing- my wife took a picture of our guys, and she go and she said, because she never goes, but Doris said, I feel sorry, I feel sorry for the rest of these people. <laughs> One thing about our, tra- I think talking to you in a phone call a while back, you mentioned groove training. People get into this groove and they mm-hmm. train with it. And we go back to the training in general in the gym. We train so broad that when we get out of the groove, we're strong enough to handle it. When you get into a groove of training or into a very, very uh, specific. When something happens, and if you're in professional sports, you can guarantee something's going to get out of that groove or get out of that range, and that's where you get injured. That's why you keep training as general as possible. It's going to transfer more into specific training. Well, we see a lot of sports teams, they'll have the same exercises, you know, for our season, six months. And all they do is they base it on these percentages, the same exercises. And what it, as we spoke about, it builds groove strength. Where you look at the West Side system, you're training out of position in multiple different positions week in, week out. And, you know, you, I feel that transfers better to sports because you're, it's general, but you're doing so many multiple positions. And as you said with your fighter, you know, you get strong in these different positions as opposed to doing the same thing day in, day out, week in, week out for six months in a season. You know, you, you only get strong in one position. And in sports, you can be in multiple positions. And, uh, you know, that's right. Well, you know, when Anthony came here for 750 pound squat, box squat, and he did 825. Had we just left Anthony alone in three weeks, he would have box squatted 750 pounds. 
but we changed him. We saw his weaknesses, worked on his technique. And, what, and how do we fix technique? Through building muscles in the correct area of his body. He lacked the lower back and glutes. And um, so we build up the muscles. If you don't have the correct muscle, that's what the conscious system does. It helps perfect technique, like you said. It builds muscle, and also it teaches you to have maximal strength in the, con in the conditions, the angles that's most important. Yeah. And another thing that people don't see is we have our main days that we come in training, but it's those constant small workouts mm. on the back end that people don't hear about, but it's the people that they do all the joint work, all the hundreds and hundreds of reps, they come in at different times in the day, that is just as important as your main lifts or your main days. It's consistency. Consistency, 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 the whole way. Yeah, and it's never boring. Mm -mm. And when do we decide what we're going to do on Max Everyday Time? Breakfast. Breakfast. Half hour before we get here, whoever got the most say, that's what they do. Strength's measured in time, it's not measured in weights. We spoke about this earlier that, you know, this is a 30, 40 year evolution of Westside principles mm -hmm. here. This is all on the back of, you know, I've got every book you've got here in this in this uh, warehouse here, you know, however long that Russian system's been in place. It's it's not, you haven't pulled these numbers out from uh, under a rock. This is an evolution of your system, which is based on the principles of Bulgarian and Russian weightlifting. Right. It's, I, I can't believe that a lot more coaches don't use these principles. It's, it's applied in not only weightlifting, but other sports. You know, I can't say that the Chinese, I do the Chinese because really you think about the Chinese would be doing what I'm doing. But they had old Soviet coaches, so I know we both came from the same method, the old Soviet coaches. Yeah. And what's interesting is you look at athletics and you've got Altus and Phoenix and, and Charlie's work, and it's the same principles in a different light to what you're doing here. Exactly. It's, it's, you know, they've got an acceleration day, a top speed day. Mm -hmm. Same way you have a max the, effort, both ends of the spectrum. Delayed transformation, yep. delayed transformation is exactly the same. Yeah. It's exactly the same. From top swim coaches to sprint coach, you know, Charlie Francis and us. And now, is that a coincidence or is it a system? It's a system. Yeah. Dan, I'm wondering if you could just give us a general overview of what you've taken from here and put into rugby. Because we get that question a lot. How does the West Side system transfer into rugby? How do, How is it utilized? Well, I think for all sports, power to body weight is the most important thing. So, uh, you know, if, if your squat is, is high relative to your, your body weight, you're going to run, run fast, change direction. So that's probably the number one thing. Um, your assistance work and essentially we take a lot of things. You know, in season, you've got a heavy day and a speed power day. So uh, that's essentially, if I had to sum up Westside, it's whatever's important, you do it within that week, every week. So there's a, there's a blueprint. You need to have a system. And we've taken... You know, Louis doesn't just have, uh, okay, we're going to do this this week and completely change it next week. There's a structure, there's a formula, and it's consistent year in, year out. So you need to address, you know, power to body weight. You need to address single leg strength, whether it's through sled work or any other means. You still need to do assistance work, you know, lower back, hamstrings, ab work. Um, you know, in a collision sport, you need to be strong up top as well. So uh, you need to be strong in your back, strong in all your, your shoulders and chest muscles there. It's... You know, it, it makes a lot of sense what what you guys do here. And it's, uh, you know, I've been fortunate to be at a great club for a long time at the Melbourne Storm with a great head coach. And it's uh, the same thing you guys have, have here in Louis. You know, you need a great head coach leading the way and have a formula, have a blueprint. How many coaches uh, go through different fads? They read a book and then one week they're doing functional training. The next week they're doing, you know, bodybuilding or, or CrossFit. You guys, this is the fourth time I've been here and it's the same blueprint. And what changes is, you know, certain little things mm -hmm. and that's that's the key you got to have a system that you believe and i'm doing the system myself i'm not giving our athletes uh, a program and i'm doing something completely but, different 
We, yeah. I mean, we were breaking, we broke all-time world records in 1986. We broke all-time world records in 2016. And like I tell the people to how you know, how I say, when you break some records, give me a call. <laughs> you know, give me a, give me a call, if, you know, and uh, because we're breaking records. We're planning on breaking some more here real soon. Yeah. Uh, you know, uh, I had a guy who's six foot seven and um, professional football player. I trained him in high school. I trained him in college. And I trained him when he came back from the NFL. And I was in there one day, and some guys come in, and they go, Louie, you know, you know, I believe Marty Mitchell might have been here that day, but uh, anybody but him asked this question, because, Louie, how would you train a high school football player? And this guy, a foot and a half taller than me, goes, can I answer that question? I'm going, hell yeah, and by all means. And so he says, here's what he said. He says, I do what they do, and then I play football. It's exactly mm-hmm. all there is to it. It's the greatest system in the world for strength and power, then you could play your sport. I, just to go back on one thing you said, when you're in season, you train too. So after the games, you what did you train? Because a lot of people are afraid to train when they're in season. Yeah, well, our season is six months, yeah. so we can't. You know, uh, you know, you've got two to three months to get them ready to play, mm-hmm. and then there's a, an off season where they've got some a little bit of downtime, but not you're not too much at all. So you can't go six months maintaining. Where every other team is getting better, that's that ain't going to happen. So what did you say? Tom, maintaining is training. Yeah, you got to so, get better. You know, we spoke about this earlier that you can't just get them uh, fresh for games. You got to get them ready, mm-hmm. and to get them physically ready, you've got to make sure that they're exposed to loads that they're going to encounter in the game. So, you know, you need to. Uh, we're lucky that we've got a very strong, you know, training culture, mm-hmm. and not many teams have that. And you can see what you guys have the environment here with Louis. It's a strong, you know, working culture here. Mm-hmm. So. Uh, You've got to do the work. You can't just magically turn up on game day and think you're going to be physically ready. Um, so, you know, we're just lucky we've got a good system mm-hmm. to get guys physically ready and not have them physically fresh for games. That ain't going to be winning too many games when it's a six-month season. Mm-hmm. A big thing, too, to point out, you touched on it, is that you train a system, you train. Yeah. As a strength coach train. Louis, you train more than any person I know. And you're, what, 69 years old. You're in the gym 24-7, no matter what. Any problems, in the gym. No, you fix everything. And that's what a lot of strength coaches don't do. You can read a book all you want, but if you're not in the gym, it doesn't matter. And, and this is, a, I know it's on a slider end, but one of my jiu-jitsu guys, from being around the gym, learning, watching, he bought some books himself, but because he bought the books and applied in the gym, he went and passed our cert. And he's not a strength coach. Right. But because he had interest in what he was doing, I'm very proud of him for that fact. That, but he learned everything from the books and put it in that gym. And he made progress down yeah. there, though. And that's huge. That's what people forget. You can read all the books you want, but if you're not fucking training, you ain't going anywhere. I've talked to a dozen people that I read super training. Well, so what? Go show me how to train. You know, super training does not tell you how to make a program. Mm-hmm. No. You know, it's a great book. I, I'm, I mean, I, I help Mel Sip do seminars for super training. But people would sit there just like me. They stare at Mel, stare at me like what? I would have to tell them what Mel was saying. And then that's why I don't do seminars anymore, I'll be honest with you. I just don't do them. I just get nothing out of them. <laughs> they don't, the, the audience don't hardly, so neither do I. I want stimulus. I, I, I'm a stimulating, I want stimulus all the time. So I, I think the best thing I can do in my old age is make sure my gym keeps breaking records as long as it can until I die. And keep thinking of new ideas. Like the, the fact that you can think of all these new new machines and new exercises mm-hmm. and how to use them is... Is what and it goes back to what Hulk Hogan says. If you slow down, you go down, mm-hmm. and you're not slowing down one bit. No, I mean I got something to prove. You know, yeah. like every day, you know, we I got something to prove. That's yeah, so, all. You know, when you don't have nothing to prove, you might as well die. 
You know, and another thing too that people don't see, even though we do the podcast every now and again, is that every day we talk about training. Mm. And so every day, breakfast we talk about training, in the gym we talk, outside of the gym, everything comes back. When we watch sports, we watch them and then we talk about training or how would you do this? How? But we're always analyzing, never criticizing, analyzing and breaking down everything. Right. And I talk to all athletes like you do. Yeah. I say, what do you, what do you think's wrong? Now I say, what's going on here? What do you like? And most of them actually like most of everything we do. But I go, what's, what's wrong with what you're doing? I will bring up what sports, and they'll tell me. I said, you talk to your coach about this. So again, you know, like I mentioned, and they says, no. I said, you have to tell the coach. And if the coach is smart enough, he's going to change for the benefit of the, of the athlete. Now, that's why coaches get fired. They don't fire teams, and coaches get fired. Mm-hmm. You know, it was an old coach here, Allen, years ago. And they brought him back in the NFL. So what did he do? He brought back a bunch of old players and knew the system with the playoffs three years in a row with full players because they knew the system. And, you know, thank God they got the old guys coming back in now, mm-hmm. Tom, because, I mean, we used to have one one new guy come in. We have six ungodly lifters helping them. It was foolproof. But then all of a sudden they all left me, the old guys. So then I got all these guys, what reason, five or six guys, they're all messed up. Got to work on every one of these guys, me or Tom, and it's, it's impossible. But when, the, when Chuck and Jake and, and especially Joe Bayless, mm-hmm. it's fucking changed in a month. I mean, them back in there, now they're listening to more, you know, they're saying, hey, you got to do it. And now it's starting to work. You know what? I come back to trust. Mm-hmm. Um, what I notice is when you've got, when we got fighters, when they trust in what you're doing, trust in that, it makes fighting way easier because that's all they focus on. Right. They, they want to get in and kick somebody's ass. Mm-hmm. But when they trust all their coaches that they're getting the best out of each one, it takes all the pressure in the world off them, and they focus on what they're born to do. If you're born to powerlift, you're going to powerlift. Once you have faith in what you're doing, and you always say it, but as Miyamoto uh, Masashi said, never stray from the way. Once you're in, you're in. The grass is never greener on the other side. It very rarely works when you leave it. But that's another thing is be dedicated. Don't just up and leave and shit gets hard, or you think it's not working. If it's not working for you, it's on you. If it works for everybody else. That's a big thing. I've always said I was convinced if it didn't work for a person, it was not. It's not our fault. They just. It's them. It's not us. I mean, it's hard to say. That it sounds arrogant, but I mean, after almost over, making over one hundred elite athletes in powerlifting alone, I, I know this stuff works. It's, I've got guys that should never got as strong as they did. They got. I mean, I'm going. I got. How did he get so strong? <laughs> you know. I mean, honestly, okay. I remember Matt Smith came to the gym. Jerry Broadfish brought him in. I go, why'd you bring that fat guy here? That's what I said. What'd you bring up that guy here? And he had eight, like eighteen hundred pound total. He ended up telling 27, uh, 27, 40 or fifty or something like that. He's the fourth strongest man in the world. And you know what I mean? I, I mean, I'm amazed at some things uh, that was has happened in my gym. Amy Weisberger, and for instance, uh, held um, you know with no athletic ability, just very determined and strong. Uh, she broke three total world records. The only woman else did is Laura Phelps. Again, is that a system or a, or a secret? It's a system. How did two people out of the same gym break, um, you know, three total world records each of them? Look at our deadlifts. Yeah. 24 over 800, I think and, we saw this morning. Yeah. That's and, and it's three, a system. What, three over 900. Like, that's. Hey, we had a guy inside our gym, but not doing our system. He had 950 pound squat in in, uh, in six months or eight months or something like that. He squatted 1,050 10, pounds already. So it just gives you an idea. And, and he had like a 735 deadlift for 750, and he pulled 800. And I would have lost my house on that deadlift. <laughs> but it's been working with you, doing all that. But if yeah. you had told me, I said, there's not a hope in hell. There's yeah. no, there's, and I, I talked enough shit about it, but I would have lost. But he did, why? Because he stuck to the system. He stuck to the system. He'll do anything I tell him. 
he's the kind of guy who wants you know, wants you to tell him. I'd rather you learn to do it on your own, but he, you know, but he, whatever I tell him to do, he will do, and he'll do it. And it's made a big. We got goals. He's a, uh, and we got a little bit of something going on here. We, you know, I said this. You come to my crew. It's on me and you. <laughs> you can't screw up. We got to. We got to prove a point. And he's proven it. And like Tom said, he'd lost money on. It. And, and you know, Tom, <laughs> I probably would too. Um, anything else? No. I, I hope you understand the static dynamic method. When you see these machines. It's going to blow you out of the water. When you get on, it's going to take you two minutes to realize what these machines do. Um, it, it's a, you know, like I said, if it's not an advantage, it's a disadvantage. And any coach who don't buy these machines is going to be at a distinct disadvantage. All right. Well, thank you to Lou. Thank you to Dan. This has been the Westside Barbell Podcast. We'll be back to you soon. This is Westside Barbell with strength and conditioning legend, Louis Simmons. WestsideBarbell.com, the strongest website in the world.